Welcome to the Golf Betting System Podcast 79. This episode covers the RBC Canadian Open on the PGA Tour. This podcast is for listeners of 18 and above. I'm Steve Bamford, PGA Tour Preview at Golf Betting System. And with me, we've got a real treat on this particular podcast. We've got European Tour expert Paul Williams and the return of long-standing podcast pundit Barry O'Hanrahan. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning, guys. Good morning, everyone. You haven't been on a non-major podcast for quite a while, Barry, with your busy lifestyle. Uh, not strategic, but uh, yeah, it just worked not out strategic. nicely, right? Absolutely, <laughs> we like it. Golfbangsystem.co.uk is the website. Naturally, we ha- we are available on social media. You can join our Golf Betting System Facebook group. The link is available in the description box. That's ever popular. Uh, Twitter handles, I'm at Bamford Golf. Paul is at Golf Betting. Barry is at A Good Talk Golf. This podcast is available on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Audio Boom, and a myriad of different pod channels. Now, for your reference, our US Open preview show will be out later this week. So please look out for that. We're very much looking forward to Pebble Beach and the US Open this year. It should be an absolute corker. So we've got a preview show this week, and then we'll have a pick show next week, followed by a DraftKings show as well. Subscribe and follow the podcast. As I always say, that's the currency of the podcast, uh, your reviews, your ratings. So take time to rate and review us on iTunes, and naturally... I will read them out at the start of next week's US Open show. So get your fingers working and give us uh, some ratings and reviews, please, for next week. Okay, let's recap last week. It was actually a very good week for the podcast, wasn't it? A good week for Golf Betting System in general. Yeah, yeah. One of those rare weeks where we've both got the winner up. Um, Rare. Would have been a fantastic week to have done a few doubles in hindsight. Annoying, really, because I, t- I tend to do a lot of um, cost doubles, but um, as you know, I, I once we got the goal through last week, I got straight down to uh, St Pancras to get over to uh, to Disneyland with the kids. So I didn't place anywhere near as many bets as I normally do in terms of uh, doubles, and I just whacked out three DraftKings teams before I went and uh, and disappeared. And of course, once you're abroad, you're pretty stuffed in terms of uh, in terms of betting, um, unless you uh, you could circumvent it with your VPNs, etc. So I didn't do anything else, and then of course I, I get uh, <laughs> yeah, and of course I, I got uh, Paisley up for thirty six hole leader forty to one, and uh, you nailed um, you nailed your man on Sunday night at uh, eighteen to one, didn't you? All very. Just- uh, on, in terms of these um, these weird stroke play and then kind of stroke play match play type scenarios that we get on the European Tour, you've had a great deal of success on those hybrid events, haven't you? Yeah, I don't. And that strategy that... of betting on the thirty six stroke fifty four in Perth hole leader, and then also doubling that up in terms of the match play element seems to really bring you some rewards. Yeah, I've done it the last couple of years on both, as you say, the Perth event and also this uh, this Belgian knockout. So, so last year, Ategi won 
overall. So I didn't get the 36, but I've got the overall winner this year. Paisley won the 36, but uh, both he and um, my other guy... Otegi <laughs> again, wasn't it? Otegi they got again. knocked out on the, in the second round of the stroke play element, or the yeah, head-to-head yeah. element, yeah. Yeah, it's, so it's all, all a bit patchy because I got to watch none of the golf last week. And um, as as the um, 36 holes was coming to its conclusion, the reception I had was patchy to say the least. So um, I was wandering to towards the restaurant with with the wife and the kids, trying to see if Pay, if Paisley had nailed this final putt. Um, and uh, the reception went for about 10 minutes and I couldn't tell and my wife's talking to me and I'm, I'm looking at my phone trying to get a reception not listening to a word she's saying that's normal for you isn't <laughs> it <laughs> she's like you know what, what are you doing what are you looking at so I just need to see if my uh, my golf has actually nailed this putt which, uh, which thankfully was it for par or birdie it was for birdie, yeah. I, I haven't seen it back, but um, I, I got it relayed by a couple of uh, kind folk on Twitter who told me what it was, and it was it was described as between a forty and a and twenty foot putt from off the green. Really? Um, okay. So it's somewhere between the two, I expect. But uh, but yeah, nice. it's, uh, so it's, uh, yeah, when that came up and finally confirmed, that was that was very nice indeed. But yeah, as you say, I also had uh, Brett Rumford at the. Um, the Super Six a couple of years back yeah, as well, exactly um, in this format. So yeah, it does. It's been been quite good to me actually. So you've had reason. Rumford, Otegi, and now that result with Chris Paisley. Or no, I know, clearly you didn't win, but you got the thirty-six hole element. So it, yeah. that fact that you're covering both markets, I mean, I I remember with Rumford, you you struck gold both on both, didn't you? Because he he, he he led the he led the the tournament. Before the cut, and then he also he delivered overall as well, didn't he? Yeah, he, did. he went all the way through. He, he was about five shots clear after the fifty-four holes. So, it's that warning you get when you see something like that because you think, well, if I if I don't back them um, in both markets and they go and do that, they go and you know they, they go and absolutely romp the stroke play and then get knocked out of the first round of the match play or. Mm. Um, you know, well, you look at the other way when Afi Barnrat won the year after, he literally scraped through into the, the yeah. match play element. Um, I think in a, he had to in go like an eight man playoff or something, yeah, wasn't he it? did, yeah, yes, yeah. so he scraped through in the playoff, so he was in you know pretty much last position getting into the match play element, and then uh, then goes through and wins the lot. Um, only had about seven lives that week, he, he should have been knocked out a number of times, but um, but yeah, I think the the dual strategy of just picking three players that you really really fancy to do well in one or other of the markets and just backing them on both um, and be done with it and see where it takes you. I think that's one that um, I can't see myself deviating away from uh, no. in the in the near future, I must say. It definitely pays dividends. So uh, mm. congratulations on that. That's a welcome boost to the old yeah. profit and loss in, in a year where it's tough to make a profit. Yeah, Did you have any inkling on the actual winner? The Italian Gido. lad. He's, yeah. He's he was the Kenyan himself. Open winner, wasn't he, from a few weeks ago? He was, yeah. And he's um, he's been particularly strong before that on the Alps tour. So, you know, you follow this line through the the line that we've seen with Matt Wallace as well, where you've got these players who graduate from the Alps tour with, with a few strong wins. And you kind of look at those wins and think, well, you know, they're, they're at a far lower level. But then um, clearly Wallace... Was well capable of stepping up to European tour level. You know, he's he's going to go one way further than that, as we've seen. Um, and Guido now he's uh, he's got two wins so far this season, and uh, 
he looks the real deal, doesn't he? He's up to up into the world one hundred now. Um, and uh, the, these prices that we've seen about him, um, I think it was ninety to one who was available for this week's event just gone. Um, and he was a good three figure price when he won in Kenya, as you said. So um, those prices will be long gone again about him now. Um, he's uh, he's proven himself to be a formidable player at uh, this kind of lower European tour level, and we'll see where he steps on or moves on from here because he's he's clearly got a bit about him, the boy. Hmm. But no, to answer your question, I, I, I didn't really give him much credence in this. I guess, you know, if you're looking at any kind of um, history background that you've got, any kind of pointers, because there was so little history from him on the yeah, European yeah, yeah. Tour and these other events, you know. You, yeah, you, you take on board previous match play stroke. Uh, it's difficult to classify because it, it, in certain aspects, we oh, well, it isn't match play. Some of it is stroke play, head-to-head. But you you take on board head-to-head performances in these kind of tournaments beforehand, don't you? Yeah, I think you, you, you can only work with, you know, unless you're going to take a complete stab in the dark, you can only work with the kind of data that you've got yeah. um, ahead of you. So, so yeah, it's... Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the European Tour have got this habit, haven't they, of, of changing things and uh, adjusting the. Uh, it was a particular. Adjust- it was a particular low for the European Tour last week, wasn't it? The, the data and the information that they weren't putting out there, or they were changing, it was yeah. just unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, even till the end, the the matches were described described on the app as match play. You know, there's the little things that it just. One of the tweets that I would tweet, we tweeted back where they they'd uh, they'd said um, you know for the weekend the top 72, 72 get through to the weekend and you're like well it's not it's sixty four you've made it quite clear that it's sixty four players sixty four divides down to two quite nicely seventy two doesn't and you know, <laughs> this is this is the official Twitter account um, and then you know they threw this curveball in. Um, after we published our preview on Monday, I don't know what day it came out, Tuesday, Wednesday, that they'd uh, split the field into two before the cut. So all of the players playing um, the AM-PM draw would effectively compete against each other for the top 32 spots and all of the players playing for the PM-AM draw would complete against, compete against each other for the other 32 spots. So it wasn't even a, a clean cut of the top 64 players and ties. It, it, it was uh, all for the, for the playoff. So it the was, leaderboard was pretty academic. The overall leaderboard is academic yeah. in that respect, yeah, because you had to go into the two sub-leaderboards, which were the um, two different um, draw waves to work out who was going through from the top 32 there. Um and that was that was sprung. I, I didn't and until I saw the leaderboard pop up on um, Wednesday evening or Thursday morning. I didn't uh, I didn't see that had changed. So clearly that was another one of these communication fails by the European Tour. Sadly, I'm not sure it detracted from the tournament in the end. It's just nice to know these things before they actually start. Hmm, interesting. I mean, you could go into a deeper conversation about how that's going to potentially attract or. You know, make things better for the tour ongoing when you've got a, a different angle, you know, a hybrid tournament. But I mean, if you and I or Barry are struggling to keep up with the rules and how it works, it, it doesn't <laughs> seem to be, you know, from a popular yeah. or from a recreational golfer or golf viewer watching that, it's just, you yeah, just don't, I don't understand what's the, going the, on, the other, No, the other element is that the players then, the top 16 players from the overall leaderboard then got seeded through to the. That's right, yeah, I saw that as well, yeah. 
through to the uh, to the matches, and then that meant that if you were seeded and you were drawing after the nine holes of the stroke play matches, then you automatically went through without needing to go through a playoff. So again, there was some confusion at the end of some of those matches that were tied. You know, and people say, well, why hasn't this one gone to extra holes? Or, you know, why has that player been determined the winner? And it's it's just a bit messy. It doesn't need to be messy. It can be very straightforward and communicated in a coherent fashion that we can all understand, but sadly not. And it's a shame because, they, as I tweeted the other day, the, this, the European Tour do so much good social stuff. You know, some of the stuff they do is really, really... Good, really, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really innovative and you've got to applaud it and then it just gets let down by some of the, um, some of the communication side, which um, needs sharpening up a little bit. Anyway, soapbox away. Let's talk We've about just spent about, like, what, four, four minutes making everybody check out, including me. <laughs> Talk- <laughs> so, so, like, what chance do they have of communicating that with the format? So convoluted, tricky, backwards, I mean... Look, you don't need to reinvent the wheel when it comes to a stroke play, match play mix, you know, just mm. knock, knock it out there, top 64 and clean the way through. I think the nine hole matches there, you're not going to do that every week, but it's a fun alternate format. Um, yeah. I think if you start messing around with things too much, you're you're going to lose uh, any chance of getting some of the bigger names and uh, yeah, end up with a challenge tour level event very soon. But uh, yeah, yeah o- always good to see a bit of match play. Um, but yeah, on to uh, listen. The other win for the show last week was uh, Steve picking Patrick Cantley. Absolutely, that was something. That was some round by him. I mean, he was just he was just nails. I I, I never um I backed him as well. I just followed Steve's tips last week. I didn't have much time to do any research, and happy to back Cantley. He's one of my um. Yeah, you like bar, Cantley, don't you? I yeah. do. I do like Cantley. Bar bar his uh, persistent shuffling over shots. <laughs> Which he's funnily enough, I think he's actually doing that less than he used to. Um, I was going so maybe- to say. I mean, we watched clearly Saturday. We we watched Sunday. For me, he was. I mean, he 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 wasn't as slow. No. In fact, if you actually looked at the coverage, his group had pulled away from the two behind. Yeah, and I, I don't know whether it's a combination of the. Uh, I see the the. T, the the TV crew knowing when to cut over to him so they haven't <laughs> taken in all of his pre-shot routine. But it still seemed like when they did cut over at a time when it's probably pre-shot, he seems to have yeah. sped up from where he used to be. So uh, maybe he's on a trend towards reducing it completely. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've watched him shuffle over putts for uh, what seemed like hours on end before, you know, in, yeah. in, in days gone by. Um, but like his golf was absolutely stunning. I mean, when he when he took the lead, um, making a couple of birdies at the time when Keimer was making bogeys, I just didn't feel, didn't have that uh, fear of you know when your bet takes the lead and you're like, oh my god, he's he's going to do it. Um, oh, we've got it was a, all got so a, under control, wasn't it? Oh, it was amazing, it was amazing, amazing golf, and we got a good sweat. Obviously, it was a great run by Adam Scott, and he nearly made that put on seventeen. Would th- would have made things very interesting. Um, but uh, quality up and down by Cantley on the 18th. It was uh, it was just on that final nice round, Barry. You li- you listen to these numbers, right? First for greens and reg, first for sand saves. Oh yeah, first for sand saves. He, he had, because I always remember, and it, and it was true with Cantley, especially even up to last year. Fantastic ball striker, um, streaky putter. But if he missed a green, he was in serious trouble with his short game. 
But now all of a sudden he's making scr- scr- he's scrambling well. The sand saves are fantastic. But you listen to this. He was first for tee to green strokes gained, and he was also fifth for strokes gained putting, and he was fifth for strokes gained approach, which all added up. He was eight point one two three strokes across the round. The only person who got anywhere close to that was Kevin Streelman, who also finished like a, a train, which is one of Kevin Streelman's one. Um, he, he does that like once or twice a year, doesn't he? Where he comes from nowhere mm. and nicks a very good, a very good check. Yeah, I'm glad he wasn't playing this week, Kevin Streelman, because I know for a fact he'd been hugely popular and he'd probably miss the cut because that's what Kevin Streelman does. But, <laughs> um. But Cantley, I mean, that to me was so impressive that that was a, a, at a level where you all of a sudden you're thinking of Cantley being a real factor in major championships into the future. Yeah. Because it was just that all-round element. Everything was totally under control. I mean, his last two majors are, uh, he's really stepped up. You can, you can mm. see him um, getting more and more involved now. And I guess, and, and winning a tournament of that stature will will only elevate the confidence levels to to sky high. You um, kind of got the feeling from him that he felt he was missing another win to his CV, um, yeah, yeah. having Brilliant. won only. I'm not going to say only the Shriners, but only the Shriners um, to his name. Now he's won a, a big marquee event. I think that'll um, that'll really help push him on. A couple of good performances in the Masters and the PGA Championship. Uh, he's he's definitely one to watch and kind of frustrating in a way, having backed him quite a bit and caught him. He's going to be an awful lot shorter for the majors now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The other thing to bear in mind is a guy by the name of Bryson DeChambeau won the Memorial last year, and look what he then went on to do in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Didn't I think he landed another? Was it? Well, I'm trying to count them in my mind. There was certainly three further victories into uh, towards the end of 2018, and you, you could potentially see exactly the same thing with Cantlin. I think with, with Cantlin, the Shriners win. Um, from memory, he kind of didn't necessarily limp over the line, but it was nowhere near as um, no. impressive a, as this. It was a playoff with uh, with Alex Checker. And we Kim. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I wonder what the odds for that were at the start of the tournament. <laughs> where where he, is he, this? He, he, he kind of, it was a hellishly windy tournament, that one. But anyway, yeah, he kind of just struggled over the line, didn't he, Cam? Yeah. And he hasn't won since. No, exactly. So to, to, to win an event by shooting a final round 64, to to do that with um, you know a level of ease and, um, you know, and clearly the quality that we know he's had. Um, you know, it's, it's been bubbling away. Um, it just needs to be, just needs to be backed up with those wins. And as you say, perhaps that will give him the impetus to go forward and, uh, and and knock a few more wins off in relatively quick succession. Yeah, and I think it will be a factor in these majors. You know, he's clearly clearly stepping up to that uh, that kind of level now, isn't he? You look at his last four majors: twelfth um, at the Open, twenty seventh PGA. Ninth Masters, of course, and then third at the uh, PGA Championship a couple of weeks back. Certainly moving in the right direction. Can put on power. Lots so, to yeah. make. Yeah. What, uh, last question before we move on. What did, I'll ask both of you separately. 
what did you and I'll start who shall I start? I'll start with Barry, why not? What did we learn over the last couple of events in terms of takings towards the US Open? So I include Colonial in that as well. So the tournament since the PGA. Hmm. What have you learned? Could be a negative thing towards certain player or players. Could be a positive thing towards certain players. What have you taken? I, do you know, I think um, maybe have a look. I'd have a, maybe a little look at scrambling last week. There was quite quite significantly heavy rough around the greens in Memorial, and they were fast with slopes. Um, it's not quite, uh, you know, they're a lot bigger than the ones at Pebble, but uh, no doubt the US, uh, the USGA is going, you know, going to have the rough up around Pebble, and we've seen a couple of photos. It's still, they, you know, we still have another week of growth left, and they can fine tune it. But uh, we, I, I guess we can be sure the rough's going to be heavy there. So uh, a little look at scrambling, I think, could help a lot. Um, GIR figures are going to be low for Pebble because the greens are tiny. So uh, that that'll be something yeah. I'll be looking at. Um, yeah, yeah. Over to you, Paul. While I think of some other angle. Yeah, I, <coughs> I don't know. I, I guess the the problem with these majors is I don't tend to get too embroiled in the the markets and really look at them in any great depth until the final markets actually start to form because. I, I tend to look at these anti-post markets and they're just so poor in value that it kind of puts me off even getting any further in that thought process, I must say. And clearly there's some players who started to, to, to percolate a little bit and, you know, Jordan Spieth started to, to show some form in patches. Um, I don't think he's going to like the, um, the Poana in, in, in terms of it being his, you know, his, his least favourite putting surface. And notwithstanding, he has won one event on Poa, but, you know, by his own estimation, it's still, um, still not his best surface. But there are certainly signs that his game's starting to come round, particularly from a short game and a, a putting perspective. Um, it was good to see Tiger Woods have a decent run out as well. And clearly, he's going to be very popular. Uh, next week at the US Open as well, but yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure there's a particular player or angle that I've, I, I haven't backed anyone. There's no anti-post bets for me whatsoever in the, um, the US Open as yet. So I don't. Uh, I have one. So I backed it a couple of weeks ago after a friend mentioned him. Uh, I backed Snedeker. Mm. So uh, he's he's been. Showing decent form. We all know he loves Pebble, so happy to have that on. But in general, uh, yeah, the anti-post markets for majors are awful. Yeah, what's uh, well, hundreds of one or thereabouts you get on Brent? Yeah, that's I think that's I think that's where I got it. So uh, there, thereabouts. But yeah, I just I, I mean I think the bookies are just so afraid of getting caught with their pants down by offering yeah. something too good on somebody who could just come hot. Um, so they're quite happy to hang on, and I suppose the other thing is if they uh, if they don't you know if they put out say like a pretty crappy market for a major anti post, but the market you know they're trying to almost discourage people from gambling on that. But if anybody's going to gamble on golf, they'll gamble on the event of that week. Mm. If they're being discouraged from gambling on the major, so they get them twice then. Um, yeah. Anyway, look, look. As always, it'll form things will formulate. Uh, maybe 
late Sunday, early Monday, and we'll start to see uh, a bit proper action in the markets. So yeah, we should. Do. I, I, I'd, I'd be surprised if we don't see some place, some bookies pushing out to um, eight and ten places by the end of this week. They've, they've mm. tended to uh, start to to make a move once the previous week's event is is in progress. But um, yeah, but yeah there's certainly no action yet, is there? So. That's interesting what you said, Barry, about the rough and how difficult it was. Because if you take the top three from last week, Cantley, Scott and the rejuvenated Martin Keimer, they were fifth, sixth and seventh respectively for scrambling. And I said I said last week, I really do see uh, Muirfield Village as the cathedral of ball striking. And Cantley was eighth for ball striking. Scott was second. And in my US Open piece, which I've put, again, we'll put a link through to the, uh, to the actual preview uh, in the description box uh, in the podcast, there's a real pattern for players who are driving the ball well, hitting lots of greens. Uh, you can also throw in some strokes, game metrics, and all-round metrics into there in terms of their play building into the US Open. Mm. And one player that did pop... And you could quite easily have missed it last week. Was actually Xander Schauffele. Yeah. He was first for total driving. He was first for ball striking, and he was eighth for all round last week at Muirfield Village. He just putted particularly badly. So there's a name for next week, potentially, gentlemen. And just to throw into the mix, I almost, almost went for the cardinal sin of selecting Gary Woodland last week for Memorial because you think, oh, it's all about ball striking. Listen to this, Barry. This will break your heart. Hmm. 52nd Gary. Remember, he started absolutely like a train, didn't he, on that soft golf course with Ryan Moore? Yeah. He was 72nd for scrambling. <laughs> But he was fifth for putting average. So putting well, but as soon as he missed a green, it was yeah. over and out. Auto bogey. So when, when you think about him for Pebble, Barry, just just, just put, Remember put, that. A, put a line through Gary Woodland. <laughs> Unless he's hitting 93% of greens. Bear in mind, there were 73 finishers uh, at Muirfield Village who actually got a paycheck. He was 72nd for scrambling. Mm. Okay, so there's a, a small window of light of hope. <laughs> He's auto bogey. Auto bogey. I thought yeah, he was okay. working on his short game. It, it clearly isn't working that brilliantly at the moment. Uh, it must I'd be s- that Chica- It must be that Dublin, Ohio grass. You know, it's not quite. It's not <laughs> not quite the same as the California grass. I, look, but, yeah, it's, but it's, Xander's def- numbers were particularly impressive last week. Yeah, we, we, we'll talk about Xander more, I expect, when we did a preview show later this week. But uh, it's, it's got to be one that you consider for every every major, mm. regardless, uh, right now. Now, talking of majors, gentlemen, we, we keep a track, clearly, at Golf Betting System of each way places and the value that's given out by the leading bookmakers. Mm-hmm. And the week before a major, it's probably a good point to talk about it, the PGA Championship last year, uh, PGA Championship a couple of weeks ago rather, was the first time ever that five individual bookmakers offered 10 places each way of 50 odds at, at a major championship. And we keep a track at Golf Betting System 
of the each way place ter- place terms that are offered across the whole season. So both on European Tour and PGA Tour. So I'm going to put a link through in the description box this week to our best each way golf terms piece at Golf Betting System. And it's just worthy of note to uh, listeners that, you know, if you're a, a, a regular punter or you're someone that's just getting into golf betting, actually having the right bookmakers is such a huge advantage when it comes to actually, you know, eking an each way place or not each eking an each way place across a season. Hmm. So that piece of um, that piece of constant research is available in the description box. Um, just to whet the appetite, if you're looking across 2019 so far this year, best bookmaker for actual each way places given, and they've given away an additional 98 places so far, is Paddy Power. Second, and this might shock a few listeners, is Boyle Sports. And third is Betfair Sportsbook. So well worth a look, and this is something that we'll just mention across up uh, ongoing podcasts. I said to Barry off air, how many of those accounts have you got? And he told me he's got every single one of them. <laughs> Pro- probably most of them. Yeah, I used to, We myself and some friends used to have a group betting pot. And uh, so to find the best value, uh, we followed the tipsters tips. And uh, to find the best value is just jumping across the different bookmakers. So I won't be getting a mortgage anytime soon, but... Um, uh, it is, but it is very good to have the the options. I wouldn't suggest opening all of them. <laughs> it doesn't it's? Um, but to have, I say, a few, say like the top three or four in terms of their extra places gives you that choice to jump between them. For um, mm-hmm. you know, you could see a difference in price from like say fifty to one to sixty six to one, but with the same number of places offered between two different bookmakers, and you know that's. Um, it's a bit of a no-brainer, really. And it always grinds my gears when, say, like I'd have money in one but not in another. And yeah. then, you know, and you go, oh, I'll just, I won't bother depositing. I'll just put it on with that one. And so, yeah. I, uh, Paul and I have had this discussion over the years. Bear in mind, we've been doing this for 10 years. On the Facebook group, we've had various discuss- discussions as well. And you're always going to get different camps, different strategies. Some people want the price. They will take the lower each way place term. Other people mm. want to maximise the uh, the place terms themselves and take a slightly lower price. I think what's happening at the moment is because that 10 places each way market is becoming more saturated and competitive, it's actually driving those odds up for the 10 places. Yeah, yeah. So you've almost got two equidistant markets of those that aren't offering and their odds and those that are offering the 10 places and their odds. And, you know, it'll just be interesting to see how that develops over the coming months and and years in yeah. terms of in terms of the majors and in terms of just you know betting in general because you know you've got a number of firms now week in week out on full field field european tour pga tour events they're offering up to three additional places over the standard five places each way and over a over a course of a of a season that is a lot of additional value yeah and, so, i mean you you take this week Three of my four tips have got eight places each way and their market leading price. I mean, that's an absolute yeah. no brainer. It's, it's certainly where the, the battleground appears to have been in this market over the last 
last year, couple of years. And as you say, well, we'll see what happens next week. But uh, there were 10 places with five firms at the USPGA, as you just said. Going back to last year, Cole and Paddy Power went 10 places each way um, at the US Open. But I I suspect that we'll see four, five, maybe more Mm. go um, 10 places this week coming and as, as you said Barry having if you've got the options with those accounts then at least you can pick and choose the best price between yeah. those terms if you um, if if they're not way out of kilter in terms of their price you could even merge yeah, I, your staking strategy can't you so you could take the bigger price you could halve your stakes take the bigger price with a with smaller term and actually hedge your bets so you almost get a blend you almost get a blended back across two bookmakers there's all different ways of playing it. Mm. Mm. Well, uh, my, my my strategy has long been get, get get the maximum places and get the best price with the maximum places between the different bookies. Um, as much as we like to think we pick winners uh, all the time, it's just not a reality. And you know, so you hope that you just grab a few more places um, payouts out of out of that situation and. Look, if you get if you get the win, yes, you haven't got the market maximum value, or not necessarily. Um, you may actually have a situation where you've the most places and biggest price for the week. But um, look, you sacrifice a small bit of your, your of the win that week. But I think over the course of a season, it, um, it feels to me like it, it works out better. Yeah, it's about minimising those complete write-off blank weeks. I always think, and yeah, if I can, if I can actually get a a, a part place or a place and minimise that loss, I think when you actually do get the wins, it it all adds up to getting a better P and L at the end of the season. Mm. Right, let's talk golf, shall we? RBC Canadian Open. Clearly, the week before the US Open. Um, if you've been following the PGA Tour for many years, this is a complete reschedule this year. So we used to see the FedEx and Jude Classic, the traditional curtain raiser for the US Open. But now that the PGA Tour has been shortened and there's a new structure in place, the let me get this right, the St. Jude Classic has now become a World Golf Championship event and it has been moved to the week after the Open Championship in July. Um, what they've done in that uh, pretext then is moved the RBC Canadian Open from that spot. They've moved it to replace the FedEx St. Jude Classic. So now it's the week before the US Open. Uh, they reckon that uh, that the uh, Canadian um, Golf Association um, are quite happy with the move. I know that the course superintendent's quite happy with it because it actually they think that the courses up in Canada are going to play a lot better, a lot more lush, thicker, mm-hmm. rough. They're going to be able to set the courses up um, a lot, a lot more to their liking for the Canadian Open. And to be fair, for the week before a major, it's actually a decent field at the top end. You know, you're talking Brooks Kepka, you're talking Dustin Johnson, you're also talking Rory McIlroy and Justin Thomas at the top of the um, of the betting market this week. So the field for the Canadian Open. Is um is is it's reasonable at the top end? It has to be said this week. Yeah, it's, it's good. I guess you've got a combination of the RBC boys who are there out of um, necessity, and then the the guys who want to use this as their as their mm. warm up, as opposed to last week. So yeah, it's, it's decent, 
decent attendee list, has to be said. It does drop off, but even under that, Webb Simpson, Matt Kuchar, Sergio Garcia, you know, Henrik Stenson, Bubba Watson. It's a decent field. It's not bad mm. at all. Um, now, to add to the complexity, clearly it's a national open. And we got a bit we got a bit lazy because they, they kept taking this to Glen Abbey every year. But now they've gone back to a rotor system. And uh, we've gone back to Hamilton Golf and Country Club, which I believe is, uh, I think it's 40 minutes drive south of central Toronto. And it has been used before for the um, Canadian Open. Um, The most recent times it's been used was 2006, where Jim Furyk won. And 2012, when... Uh, a gentleman by the name of Scott Pierce. He won. I tipped him up that week, fifty to one. Mm. Um, he won this back in twenty twelve. Now the golf course itself um, is it's a it's a fascinating setup, really, because you don't get many of these setups on the PGA Tour. It's a Harry Colt original from nineteen fourteen. I classify it as classical, clearly old style. It's a par 70, so only two par fives in play this week. And this is the real killer for me. 6,967 yards in length. You don't get many courses of that ilk on the PGA Tour. No. Very, very short. Um, Just one note here. They have fundamentally changed the golf course by removing, I believe, up to 5,000 trees between 2012 and uh, this year, this year's running. So what you're going to find is the golf course is a lot sparser in terms of the way it looks visually on TV. Yeah. And you're not going to get as many blocked tee shots when you go errant off the fairway. So that just needs to be borne in mind, I think. Hmm. Now, just this one was one point st- on the, it's go not, on, you, go on, Baron. Sorry, just just to do with the course, it's a composite of two of the courses there at Hamilton. It's mm. the front nine of the west course and the back nine of the south course, both yeah, Harry Colt yeah, designs. Yeah, so, yeah, there's three uh, and, nines and, and, there, and they take two. Yeah, just from reading at their um, re- just from reading the you know, their website there and having a look at the. The videos. It sounds like the they've got the two the two most spectacular nines. So should be. Uh, look, it looks it looks good. When I look back at twenty twelve, they described one as one nine as parkland, and they 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 classified the other nine more classical tree lined. I'm expecting that they're both going to be kind of parkland this time because I would have thought most of the trees have been taken off the other nine. Yeah, I mean, but, whether that fundamentally changes the way that you play, if it's more about you know, less blocked out shots, but you've still got to play the course. You know, the routing is the same as it was before then. Because presumably they've, they've grown the rough to compensate for it. So it's not as if it's massively wider. It just, aesthetically, it might be, uh, but might look a bit different, as you said. Now, you look at someone like um, uh, Jim Furyk, and then you look at Scott Pearce and you think, Bleh. How the hell can you link Jim Furyk and Scott Piercy? Now, Jim Furyk, one of the shorter hitters on tour. Mm. And Scott Piercy, you can bomb it out there 3.30 if he wants to. Quite different off the tee. Quite different in terms of the length that they've got in for approach shots. 
But actually, when you start looking at Jim Furyk and you look at Scott Piercy, they tend to have quite a compatible set of results on on golf courses that actually relate to both of them. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at places like Wyerley Country Club, where they play the Sony Open. They've both had very good results around Copperhead, the Valspar Championship. They've both had top 10s at PGA National, the Honda Classic. So you've got two par 70s there with the Wyerley and PGA National. Um, they've had very good finishes at Harbour Town which plays as a par 71, but as we know, that's a short, tight, technical uh, golf course, uh, tree line. They've both done well at TPC Four Seasons, where they used to play the Byron Nelson. You know, these similarities go on. Um, They've they've both had reasonable results at Colonial. Um, Firestone is another one. I can remember Scott Piercy finishing second at Firestone one year. Um, you look at Jim Furyk, he's had a couple of seconds there, a couple of thirds there, he's had a fourth there, he's had about 10 top 10s at Firestone. Mm. So there are definite courses where they their results overlay each other. Another one is TPC Summerlin in Las Vegas, both done very well there. Short, shorter tests where second shot accuracy into holes yields birdies would be my, sum- my summarisation around that. But, there's also some links across a couple of majors. Now, 2013 at Oak Hill was the PGA Championship, which was a tight Ross design just outside of New York. And in that particular tournament, Scott Piercy was in the top five and Jim Furyk was second. And then I also recalled, you know, you just sit there over the weekend and you think, oh, you know, where would these players potentially play well at? And Oakmont jumped out to me as well. So I'm thinking 2016 US Open. I can remember Dustin Johnson taking his first and to the to date uh, only major championship victory at Oakmont and all the histrionics that went around that with the ball Mm. moving and all this kind of stuff on the Sunday. I can also recall... Shane Lowry leading that US Open for a huge chunk of it. Mm. And I can also remember Jim Furyk finishing like a train and finishing second. And also Scott Piercy finishing in a tie for second place as well at Oakmont. So you, you, when you look at the two set, you know, you look at those two players and you look at their results, there are a lot of courses where they actually relate to each other very, very closely. And that's kind of formed the basis of my selections this week, because we don't know we don't know a great deal about the course because you know it was what seven years ago was the last time they played here, twenty twelve. Yeah. What about the um, po- what about the Poana links? Do you, you, you put much credence in the likes of um, you know the likes of Pebble and Torrey Pines in terms of um, players who've uh, performed well there? Well. Um, I use the um, the GCSAA fact sheets as um, a source of data on that. So the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America, there's a mouthful for you. And their latest one for the Canadian Open has just sprung up overnight. And they are confirming that the greens this week are a mix of bent grass and poana. So mm. I can't tell you if it's predominantly poana or predominantly bent grass, but both of those are in the mix this week on the greens. 
So they will be similar to what we saw last week at Muirfield Village. But to answer your question, as we know, there are a number of, well, quite a big number of players that do struggle on greens that contain Poana. So for me, I looked for players that I know are quite comfortable on that putting surface. Yeah, yeah. it's got to be a positive, I think. Uh, the greens themselves are 5,000 square feet, so they're quite small. Bear in mind it's a sub-7,000 yard golf course. And my take as well, Jim Furyk takes us away from this, but bearing in mind that was now what? I'm trying to do the mental arithmetic. 13 years ago. But on the 2012 leaderboard, every single player in the top nine of the final leaderboard in 2012 ranked in the top 25 for driving distance. Mm. So for me, that would suggest that someone that's got a bit of grunt off the tee is an ad- you know it is a physical advantage around here. Just on that particular renewal, and it's difficult because you're comparing a small number of samples in size tournaments, but on that particular running, on a golf course that did play soft, 2012, they were actually um, playing preferred lies across Thursday and Friday. Now, it might have rained overnight um, in Toronto. They've had quite a lot of rain in the build-up, and I've read various different... um, interviews from 2012 and from the course superintendent himself a guy by the name of Rod Trainer, who said that because this golf course is pretty old hasn't had a renovation hasn't incorporated a lot of new modern techniques i.e. I don't think it's got sub air if this golf course does have rain they cannot dry the greens out so I think we're likely to see receptive greens in play across the whole week yeah and as we know, a lot of players do like a soft golf course. And actually, you take the top two from last time they played here. One was, of course, Scott Piercy. The other one, who should have won if he'd have had a decent putting week. And how many times have you said that about Robert Garrigus? Um, they are both lovers of soft golf courses. Mm. Now, lo and behold, we have a soft positive uh, variable on our uh, predictor model this week. So if you want to find out what players have gone best on soft golf courses on the PGA Tour over the last five years, that is a decent place to start, has to be said. I'll read out the top five that I'm seeing right now. Brooks Kepka at one, Justin Thomas at two, Rory McIlroy at three, Dustin Johnson at four, Zach Johnson and Brian Harmon tying for fifth place. Harmon's really interesting because he has been second for Greens in regulation on his last two appearances, Brian Harmon. So his scrambling and putting hasn't been fantastic of late. And actually, you think of Brian Harmon, he's a real putter and scrambler. But now that he's got confidence coming in, knowing that he's hitting tons and tons of greens, I would expect Brian Harmon to have a good week this week. My only slight concern with him is I'm not sure that he's the best on Poana putting surfaces. But it's worthy of note for listeners and for us moving forward. Harmon's game is definitely getting better right now. Yeah, and on a course that suits, he loves to play in the wind as well, doesn't he, Harmon? Um, he does, so yeah. It probably, uh, it's, it's not the longest, so in terms of length, this course is probably going to be good for him. Um, it's it's going to be relatively tranquil, I think, from reading your 
previews. Oh, I think it's going to be a drag strip. First mm. two days on a soft golf course with no wind whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, Scott Piercy, I think, shot 62 on the opening Thursday here in 2012. Red hot putters then. Yeah, it's it's going to be a it's going to be a wedge and putting contest, I think, which aren't always the easiest to call, are they? Um, I'll give you a couple of people always say, oh, who are the ones you didn't select, or who were the ones that came closest for you in terms of selection this week? I'll mention a couple of names before we we crack on with our selections. A player that's really jumping out at me recently, and a player that is an absolute greens and regulation monster, is Kung Hoon Lee. Mm. And he was tied leader after 36 holes last week at Memorial, the cathedral of ball striking as I know it. I could see it all got a bit too much for him, but what do you expect? He's still a rookie on the PGA Tour assist, uh, see, uh, PGA Tour. Um He's got a lot of experience, though, out in Asia, Kung Hoon Lee. And if you actually look at what he's done out there, he's got some very strong finishes on in the Japan Open. He's won the Korean Open. I mean, this is this is no no poor golfer. And if you think of courses out in the uh, Far East, a lot of uh, the actual courses where he's played well at in those Opens were tight, short, um, old-style golf courses. I could see Kung Hoon Lee continuing the momentum this week. Mm. I'm seeing up to 125 to 1 with Betfred, seven places each way right now on Kung Hoon Lee. And actually, the memorial's almost like a major, isn't it? The field's so strong, the crowds are big, Jack Nicholas is in the house, Tiger Woods is in the house. I think this week, somewhere at the RBC, on a golf course that's a smaller setup, not as much tension, I think next uh, last week will actually stand him in good stead. So he was the the one that I came closest to including that I haven't included, the other one, and I know that I'm going to steal your thunder, uh, Paul, is Jimmy Walker, mm. who was the other one that I struck off my list. I just fancied something a little bit bigger on Jimmy Walker, to be honest. I was slightly disappointed with his price. If it yeah. had been 100 to 1. He hasn't had a top 10 for a while. But this kind of golf course with the, the bent, the poana, uh, the way that he's striking the ball in terms of his greens and regulation numbers that have improved. We've mentioned some critical courses already. I mean, Wireline, well, he's won twice there. He ticks a lot of the course boxes, and we know that he's a fantastic Poana putter. So I think Walker could pop up and, and, and be a real runner this week, Jimmy Walker. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll run through him when um, when we get to... To, to my view, but yes, is I, I can't can't uh, disagree. I think Jimmy's got a chance this week. Another one, I don't know. EVR is another one that could potentially go well. I think, especially as he qualified last night for the US Open through one of the sectionals, he should be buoyed by that. I've yeah. gone for I've gone for four. Um, I'll just read them out. I mean. Uh, one player I think is really upwardly mobile at the moment. Um, and he's got a very strong record on Poana greens and especially greens that are mixed with bent grass. When you just look at his course CV and where he's done well in the past, it just shouts classical golf courses, old-style golf courses. He's better on shorter courses as well. Um, his greens in regulation numbers have been very, very strong of late, and he's just playing some really, really smooth golf right now. 
And it finally showed at Colonial a few weeks ago where he was the 36-hole leader. Um, had his, um, what would we call it? He, he had his dodgy round on Saturday under the pressure and then clearly fought back on the Sunday to, to grab a, um, a top five finish, which he hasn't had for a long period of time. But the Swede Jonas Blixt, I think, is a player that will really revel on a course like this. And um, I mentioned in my preamble um, Oak Hill. Yeah. And it's interesting with Blixt. Jason Duffner won that particular major in 2013. Jim Furyk was second. Uh, Henrik Stenson was third. If Henrik could actually find the putter, um, he could be a real factor this week. Uh, and then we had Jonas Blixt in fourth position with Scott Piercy in fifth. So I think Blixt at 100 to 1 is a, is a decent angle this week for a guy that's clearly upwardly mobile and playing some very nice golf right now. I always have Blixt more as a, as a short game, very strong natural putter. But he's clearly been really working hard on his driving accuracy and his GIR recently. Yeah, I, I was surprised to see him so high in your tracker because um, mm. you're right. He's, you know, these players that pop into your head in terms of their key core strengths. Yeah, I know. That, that's not it. So to see I've never seen clearly... Jonas Blixt in the top three on my driving no. on my driving accuracy tracker. That's no. like that's that uh, computer cannot compute kind of number. <laughs> bit like Peter Malnati finishing top of greens in regulation last week at the Memorial. Peter Malnati could not compute. (laughs) Cannot compute. Anyway, yeah, Jonas Blixt is one of mine. Um, Do you want to throw in some more? Are are those longer numbers? Do you want a bomb? Ali Schneiderjans. Qualified for the US Open yesterday with yeah. uh, medalist Com- honours. Yeah, comfortably. Yeah. yeah. It must have been uh, a course with very wide um, fairways. I'll say that. Sh- well, sure, whatever. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm following the confidence trend, and he does poke his head up on your uh, putting, your rolling putting tracker as well, mm. Steve. So, um, He's a good here at the moment. And the thing is, he he's long, so he doesn't he won't need to hit driver everywhere here. So hopefully that'll tighten in the old driving accuracy. Um, I can so, remember him going yeah. well at Harbour Town one year, very very close to winning at Harbour Town. So that works nicely. And at, at well, one of these courses where you don't have to pick up driver as much, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, so he is at long odds. What did I get him at? One hundred and twenty. 175 to 1. I also backed him for first round leader just while he's shooting low scores, but 175 to 1, eight places. I'll take that. Yeah. Is he wearing a cap these days or is he still capless? He's he's like the Robert Rock of the PGA Tour. He's a great head of great head of hair. <laughs> he has, not he? I wish I had hair yeah. like that. Yeah, I can see the logic uh, yeah. in Schneider Jans. He, he, he he's a very talented lad, isn't he? That's clearly um, lost his way, but there are signs that it's coming back. Mm. Yep, like that one, Paul. Yeah, you mentioned Jimmy Walker, um, and he's one of the two players that I've backed so far. Uh, the other one's a bit shorter, so I'll go through him in a second. Um, but yeah, Jimmy Walker back to the nineties. I think the the trees that have been removed here can only help 
Jimmy. The more trees that are taken out of the way, the better. But saying, saying, saying that, he's actually been um, he's actually been a bit more consistent of the team the last few weeks. Thirty uh, sixth in the field for driving accuracy at the USPGA, twenty fourth at Colonial. So those are those are good figures for Jimmy because he's often residing quite close to the bottom of the uh, driving accuracy stats in terms of the players that make the cut each week. And um, you, you alluded to a second ago, third for GAR at the USPGA as well, fourth for putting average at Colonial. There's lots of things that are kind of converging yeah. with Jimmy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the correlating course forms, his West Coast form is exceptional. Um, he's got three wins on bent or bent power uh, tracks over the years. Uh, played here in 2012 as well, and he recorded four rounds in the 60s that week. Um, so there's a lot of different angles that, Seem to converge nicely for Jimmy Walker at ninety to one. You know, he's a, he's a major champion, Jimmy. We know he's very good, and he's obviously struggled with the Lyme, Lyme disease over the last few years, but seems to be uh, seems to be moving back in the the right direction now. Seems to be a bit healthier, fitter, and uh, yeah, I thought ninety to one was worth taking a chance on with Jimmy. You know, on these ex former elite players like Walker. I always think this type of year they they do start to pop up, and that's because they're low in the FedEx Cup uh, points, and they yeah. need to actually eke something out to get into the playoffs. Yeah, and I know yeah. it sounds crazy, but we're in June now. And there aren't many outings left before we get to the cutoff for the um, for the actual for the actual playoff series. No, and you do start to see. I remember Brant Schnedeker last year; he was playing awfully, and all of a sudden during the later months of summer form started to come mm. and uh, yeah I, I can see Jimmy Walker there's definitely um, oxygen percolating out of him at the moment heading towards the water the surface of the water there you go yeah I, I think the, the, you know a, a lot of his um, a lot of the players well not a lot but a fair number of the players that are here this week will have had to rush around for sectional qualifying last week he hasn't, the, fact, yeah. the fact that he hasn't I think is a positive big positive and, uh, yeah, I, 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 there's lots to like about him. And I think that the fact that it, it should play, aesthetically at least, a little bit wider this week, I think uh, I think that'll suit Jimmy. And of course, he's good at recovering from the rough when he does uh, does find it with regularity. Well, he's used to it, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. He's well-versed in it by now. Softer fairways will help him. But he's, he's actually, Paul, and that, you know, I often work backwards. And with Walker, what has become clear recently is he's actually starting to hit some fairways. Eighteenth, fifty-fourth, and fortieth for driving accuracy. If you look across the total fields that he's played in in the last three outings, yeah. and usually you're finding Jimmy about one hundred and forty-eighth. Yeah, he's moving. So actually, he's forward. hitting fairways. So he's dangerous, mate. He's coming, Jimmy Walker. So yeah, I, I, I like that a lot. Um, I'll just I'll just get it out there. My uh, my headline tip this week is Dustin Johnson. I think he's going to take a hell of a lot of beating. Um, I just think this course would be pretty perfect for him. Uh, 10 of his 20 wins have been on Poana-based greens. Uh, and I'm I'm struggling to see him not being a factor this week. Mm. Um, and it could be one of those weeks where you put all of your time and effort into finding a lot of players and a lot of value. And um, it comes to like Friday evening and you see one of the elite boys five shots clear at the top of the leaderboard and you go, why the hell did I bother? Mm. Um, I can just see Dustin Johnson running away with it this week. I don't see Brooks Kepka doing that because as we know, Brooks will be focusing solely 
on what he needs to achieve for Pebble Beach next week. Um, Dustin doesn't seem to set himself up like that. He just goes for the win um, yeah. whenever he plays. And there were a couple of angles that I took uh, from Jimmy, uh, from both Jim Furyk and Scott Piercy. And these, this was in the outings before they actually... Uh, so in the case of Jim Furyk, he was third at the Bridgestone Invitational before he came here and won this in 06. Scott Piercy was third at the John, John Deere Classic 2012 before he came to Hamilton and won this particular um, title. And two things that, or one thing that was particularly clear was how well that they played on the previous outing. So um, Jim Furyk had been first for tee to green and Scott Piercy had been second for tee to green before they arrived in Canada. Canada. And they'd both been accurate. They just played really, really, really well. And if you look at the PGA Championship, uh, Dustin Johnson was third for, t- for strokes gain tee to green. He was seventh for ball striking and he was second in the all-round category. Behind Patrick Cantlay. And Cantlay went on one last week at Memorial. I just think DJ's due, so I won't, I mean, stating that Dustin Johnson's going to win a golf tournament is something not to really dwell on, I think. The other two I'm after this week as well is Shane Lowry. I think that Oakmont link pays a lot of due. Um, if you remember, he was third at the RBC Heritage in Harbortown a few weeks ago. He was eighth at the PGA Championship a couple of weeks ago, also at um, Beth Page Black. Those greens were Poana pretty much. I think it was uh, 90% Poana, 10% bent grass. He likes these kind of putting surfaces. And also, when I looked at Shane, his performances around the west course at Wentworth are worthy of note that is a original Harry Colt design I know it's been tampered with and mucked around blah 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 but the routing of the course the visuals of the course are still Harry Colt in essence and his record around Wentworth is particularly strong he's playing very very well from tee to green now when when the markets went live yesterday, Monday. He was as big as 80 to 1 with one bookmaker. That's been slashed completely. So I, I've just taken 40 to 1 on him, eight places each way with Paddy Power this week. I think Shane Lowry's got a good um, result still potentially in the locker. And the other one is Duff Bag. I think Jay, when I watched the coverage last week at, uh, on Sunday of Jason Duffner, he was hitting the ball. Very, very, very well from tee to green. He was outstanding. Were, were they only showing visuals of him hitting shots not on the green? <laughs> I mean, ser- really? You're going to a surface that the ball can be affected in its role on the green, and you're going to back Duffner. Steve, come on. <laughs> I mean, it was only yesterday that Paul was giving a stink about him. <laughs> Or it was a Sunday. Yeah, but I, 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 he he I cruised. He cruised through U.S. Open sectional qualifying yesterday, and he's just playing some really nice golf at the moment. He was sixth for strokes gained tee to green at Muirfield. Um, I'm glossing over you, Barry. Sixth in strokes gained approach. <laughs> I don't know if you're noticing. Fourth for ball striking, and he was third in all round. So. That all-round category takes into uh, into effect, you know, every element of his game. He's just playing some really nice golf at the moment, Duffner. 
And actually, if you look, if you think about Jim Furyk and Scott Piercy, I wouldn't call them natural-born putters either. I think this, I think this Hamilton course is. It's one of those courses. The greens here are pretty severe. Um, they're pretty contoured. Uh, they they tend to tilt from back to front. And if you look at a lot of the courses we're talking about, um, you know, Duffner's record is absolutely superb. I mean, lo and behold, he won at Oak, Oak Hill in 2013. And we also mentioned Oakmont in 2016. He was in the top 10 there at Oakmont as well. I just think on a course where potentially proximity to hole, approach play are actually going to be the keys to actually give you shorter putts and actually the, the opportunity to score, I, I could see Duffner being a real factor this week. So that, those are my four that I've gone with. I think yeah. you're backing him for a place, though, really. I, 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 there's no doubt he is striking the hell out of the ball and his proximity must, be unbe- must have been unbelievable. Um, yeah, I think he's top in, seven in the across the whole season. Bear in mind... Yeah, get get this, Barry. Seventh across the whole PGA Tour season this year, and he's and at one stage he missed a seven or eight consecutive cuts. That just showed you how bad his putting has been. Yeah, I mean, as bad as his putting is, can you imagine how wobbly it'll get if he's in the you know in the mix on Sunday evening? I I I I'm, I'm, I like the guy a lot. I just I it would petrify me if I had my money on him and he was like what one up with three or four holes to go yeah. or I don't uh, I don't think it would be a Patrick Cantlay ease of victory type scenario <laughs> I'll be pa- pacing around the lounge looking for alcohol desperately I'd have thought but yeah well I had him back people... last week yeah and, uh, and... He's sitting there, I think he was in... Oh, that if, what, safe, double bogey on 18. Yeah, yeah. So he's sitting safely in a tie for fourth. We've got him seven places going into the final hole. He's in the middle of the fairway in the final hole and then he contrives to double it. Mm-hmm. And it only it was only the fact that Jordan Spieth made bogey on the final hole that I actually got anything back from that bet whatsoever from what was looking like an absolute rock solid each way return and about 10 minutes before that. Are you going to buy one of those dude caps? Dude. Oh, dude, scrub the e Mate, off the end. Dud. I was going to say he's dud. <laughs> Steve, yeah. I've I've found the key for Duffner to to doing it this week. I'm just looking at his putting stats. Uh, they're they're not pretty. Not, they don't make pretty reading, but he does happen to sneak into 40 second spot in putting from nine foot. So that's his key distance this week. <laughs> If he hits it within 10... I know, you'd rather him be over a 9-footer than a 3-footer, I know that much. He is, yeah, he's 190th on tour, putting from 3-foot. It it, it just doesn't make pretty reading. Um, Look, uh, I guess we'll see. I have one other um, punt, um, soft course guy, Danny Lee. Yeah, I did look at Danny. Played well in the USPGA for a bit, didn't he? He did, yeah. Now he didn't hit an awful lot of greens, which is not uh, doesn't really bode well coming into this. But he did okay around Harbour Town this year. I think he was forty first when I looked. Yeah, so his stats seemed to go up that week. Now naturally they will a little bit on a tighter course, but uh, he was juicy odds. So I just took a little punt on him. Uh, mm. The soft course kind of. Uh, oh yeah, he's a great soft golf course player. He, he's fantastic. The other thing with Danny, I'll always say, and I always get shouted down, I, I think Danny Lee struggles on Bermuda. 
I think anything other than Bermuda, Danny Lee can be a factor on the greens, and he's he's uh, he's just he's just one of these inconsistent sorts, isn't he? If you look for him statistically, you know he can miss the cut by eight shots one week, and then he can be a factor the next. You just can't read what he's going to do. Yeah, yeah. Statistics yeah, don't tell you that, do they? No, a juicy price though. I must say, it did catch my eye, Danny Lee as well. Um. Three others that have caught my eye, longer prices, similar to that, Barry. Um, I've probably played them from a DraftKings perspective, but um, I might have a little tickle each way as well. We shall see. Um, Scott Stalin's 125 to 1, 7,200 on DraftKings caught my eye. He was seventh here in 2012, and he's got mm. he's got some good correlating course forms, likes a, likes a classical setup as well. Third yep. of Pebble earlier this year. And very erratic, so he's kind of hit or bust, but he could be a, a, a good kind of contrarian play, I think. Um, Nick Watney seems to be rounding into a bit of form as well. A um, mm. couple of decent finishes over his last couple of events as well. His first win came in Canada, actually, on, back on the uh, Canadian tour back in, oh, what was it, 2003, something like that? long time ago now. Um, 125 to 1 as well, 7,500 on DraftKings, fourth for Greens and Regulation at Colonial, and set, uh, ninth for putting average at Memorial, which isn't his game, Nick. If he's putting well, then he is quite dangerous. Whether he's um, one of these players who can kind of come back to former greatness, we shall see. But uh, something seems to be working positively for Watney at the moment, I think. I never trust Nick Watney to put together two decent performances these days because I looked mm-hmm. at him really closely for Muirfield. Yeah. But the fact that he had a solid outing there, I think he he could go very well this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it, he he missed out quite badly on uh, section qualifying yesterday, which kind of put me off. But um, he could. Furick uh, and Piercy have both finished well at Conway Farms. You know the BMW mm. Championship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Watney was second there in 2013 behind Zach Johnson, who you picked up that week. Yeah, there's uh, there were quite a few little linky ties going in for for Watney. I did quite mm. like. Um, the other one, Malnati, you just mentioned. Um, I think that, Grins- that Grins and Regulation stat was um, cannot was, compute. Yeah, absolutely. It's just it's just an absolute eye catcher. Two hundred to one, you get about Malnati. Seven thousand one hundred and DraftKings. Um, and if he combines that with a decent putting week, whew, he could really shock. But the one I've backed outright is Branch Schnedeker. Um, a little bit of 45s if you want to take fewer places. I took 40 to 1 with seven places each way. And um, I think, given the way that you said it's going to set up, that it is going to be low scoring. And um, he seems a bit forgotten in this market, Schnellica. And this is a bloke who shot 59 last year to win, um, or in the first round of the Wyndham. Um, and that was another short past 70 as well. So I, I, I think this kind of setup works nicely for him. Mm. Um, fifth at the players, sixteenth at the US PGA after opening with a bad, well, a, a slow round of seventy-four. Um, he was third for driving accuracy that week, actually. Nineteenth at, at the Charles Schwab, again open with a seventy-four, but second for putting average. And when Schnedeker's back on form with his putting, he is a dangerous man. Um, okay, what got me is that if you look through his list, I mean, he's, he's won three times, or he's third on your list actually for power or bent power winners. So clearly, he's going to be um, going to be a player who could uh, could take well to this track. Um, but he's won Pebble Beach twice, he's won Torrey Pines twice, he's won the Wyndham twice. 
He's won the Canadian Open once. Can he continue that trend and make that another career double victory? We shall see. He's working with Todd Anderson out of Sea Island. And one mm. thing you can see that Todd's worked on him with, Branch Schnedeker was absolutely terrible off the tee for a few years, wasn't he? Yep. And all of a sudden, I'm seeing him in the top 20 in my um, driving accuracy tracker. Yeah. He's definitely finding fairways. If he can just straighten his irons, which he has done inconsistently this year, he can be a real factor, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing that got me, he was sixth at the St. Jude last year, the week before mm. the US Open. And he opened that week um, with a 71, which in the context of that uh, week was poor. He was sitting outside the cut line after the first day. Um, so with a better start this week. And again, it's been his starting rounds over the last few weeks that it. held him back. Because I had him at Colonial. So did you. I know you were yeah. all over him at Colonial. Yeah. And he was awful, wasn't he? Two over, 74. Yeah. Uh, was it yeah. four over, wasn't it? He uh, was 74, yeah. So, yeah um, God. And then all of a sudden, 68, 67. I think yeah. if he go if he if he can shoot something in the sixties the first day here and then do what he's been doing um, outside of that, I think he's got a good chance of winning this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, not one of these players there was no mucking about with these qualifiers yesterday. He can just focus completely on his uh, his game this week. Yeah, but yes, is is the is the only other one that I've backed out right at this point. Yeah, that'll probably come bite me on the posterior branch nicker week after itis. But yeah, I like that. Very good. Is that us then, done for the week? Yep. That's me. Done. Lovely. Thank you for your time, gentlemen. We will reconvene later in the week and uh, start talking Pebble Beach US Open. I'm looking forward to that. Already have a multitude of different statistics and stuff to talk through, so that would be great. Um, Thank you for listening. And just to recap, you can follow us, of course, on our various different Twitter handles. I'm at Bamford Golf. Paul is at Golf Betting. Barry is at A Good Talk Golf. Don't forget there is a link through to our Facebook group there where um, we're approaching 5,000 group members and we're talking golf betting pretty much each and every day and DraftKings as well. So uh, come across and don't hesitate to get involved. Thank you for your time and we will be back again later this week. Goodbye.